Hello, Hawks fans, and welcome to another episode of the Kettlecast with your host, Forrest Willoughby. In this part two of my conversation with Ben Ladner, we talk about the top 25 players under 25, what his expectations are for the Hawks this season, and also what his expectations are for the NBA at large for this 21 and 22 season. I hope you enjoyed the first part of my conversation, and here is part two with Ben Ladner. One thing I definitely want to talk about is you took part in the top 25 of players who are younger than 25 with the step back. And I suggest everybody go check that out that list. I think it's fun to, to look at that. And I would just had a couple of questions. You did two deep dives on Hawks players. There are actually four Hawks players on the list. Kevin Herter, John Collins, DeAndre Hunter and Trey Young. Um, and you did the deep dives on DeAndre Hunter and John Collins. And so first what you got to do deep dives on both of those players. What were your takeaways from that? And then also, what do you think about the the list overall? Um, there were some surprises to me. I think Jamal Murray being 15 was pretty surprising. I guess this being a list for next season and how valuable, and we don't really know when he's going to get back. Um, Trey Young being at four, I think it's kind of surprising. Obviously, this is a Hawk-centered podcast, and so there may be a slight bias there, but him being behind um, Tatum and Zion, I, I can I can see it, but it was kind of surprising him being four. And then uh, kind of those three questions, what do you think about doing a deep dive on Collins and Hunter and then on the list overall? Yeah, well, my biggest takeaway was was that DeAndre Hunter might be the most important player on this team. And that's not really true because obviously Trey Young is the most important player and Capella even, you know, they, this team does not have a chance of winning a championship to me if DeAndre Hunter is not full strength and productive on at least the defensive end of the floor. Offensively, you know, maybe he takes a step back. Maybe he's not right. Whatever. You can work around that. If he cannot be your primary defender of opposing wings, particularly James Harden, Kevin Durant, Chris Middleton, those type of guys. I don't know who that is on this team because I think Cam Reddish is really good on guards and and maybe he's like a even a Kevin Durant who's not going to use his strength as much. Um, not to say that Reddish would shut down Kevin Durant if anyone interpreted it that way, but you know Hunter is really the only like true forward sized you know NBA small forward type of guy who can defend at a high level on this team, and so they're going to need him to do that, and and that's. To me, that's the swing factor of whether the Hawks are a contender or not. Because I think we know that they're going to be really good offensively with Trey Young on the floor. I think we know they're going to be solid defensively with Clint Capella on the floor. I think we kind of know what Collins is, and he, I think he'll improve. But generally, he's going to give you a high level, you know, of baseline production every night. Same thing with Herder. Same thing with Bogdanovich. Like even if they regress a little bit statistically, I think they're rock solid. I think you know what you're getting. Hunter's the one guy like. The injury, it's it, getting to the point, like even more so than it was when I wrote that piece, that it seems like it's just going to be a chronic thing. It seems like it could be something that that costs him a lot of this season again, which would be really disappointing. And if that's the case, like I'm afraid I just don't see a ton of championship upside with this team. If he is healthy and if he is you know, moving well and he feels good, like maybe they're on the fringes of the title picture and they could really get into that mix. Again, I think things would have to go right for that to happen. But I, I think that scenario is at least in play with a healthy DeAndre Hunter. And then, you know, the other thing I think would just be, can he continue to progress as an offensive player, make some of the strides he did last year, you know, and continue that as an individual creator, as a floor spacer. You know, he didn't actually shoot the three all that well last year. 
which is interesting given how good he he was at like pretty much everywhere else. That's the one area of his game I think um, maybe didn't make the improvement that the rest of it did last year. I think that'll be better. You know, he's I think he's just better than a 32% three-point shooter or whatever he was. Um, but that's a, a part of his game that hasn't really been consistent throughout his career. And playing as a, you know, third, fourth option around Trey Young, that's a part of your, like, that's something you need to do. Hitting open shots is, a, is kind of a necessity. So he, he's going to be a really, really important swing factor. As far as Collins, I've just always been a fan of his his offense. I think he's one of the best offensive bigs in the entire NBA. Um, and that might sound kind of crazy given that Nikola Jokic and Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid and I, even Giannis, I guess you could call a big, all play in the NBA. I don't think he's quite on that level, but he's just a rung below those guys to me because he's not an on-ball guy. You know, he's not going to be a guy you give the ball to. He's going to give you a 115 offensive rating when he's on the floor guaranteed. You know, he's not that level of offensive floor raiser, but if you put him around a player like Trey Young, he is, he's lethal because he can step out and shoot the three. He's one of the best rim runners in the entire NBA. He can get around the basket. His catch radius is ridiculous. His hands are great. Just his ability to catch and finish around the rim is like Anthony Davis might be the only guy in the NBA who, who can outdo him in that area. I mean, there are very few of those guys and he's a more reliable jump shooter than a guy like AD. So while he's not a better overall player, I just think his versatility his malleability and his ability to produce at a really high level in a variety of capacities just makes him a really, really unique offensive player. And, and one thing I actually discovered while I was writing that piece, which I thought was really interesting was that I think Trey young was like second, he was either first or second among players who touched the ball at least 50 times per game last year. He was first or second in time of possession per game, like eight minutes, seven, eight minutes per game. John Collins was last. He, he held the ball the shortest amount of time in the entire NBA among players who touched it at least 50 times per game. So in theory, if you could design a player that you would want to play next to a ball dominant player like Trey Young, that player is John Collins. It's literally John Collins. He's on the roster. Um, and I just thought that was really interesting and, and sort of explains why that chemistry, why that fit has been so good throughout those two guys' careers because they're they're kind of the perfect complementary pieces to one another. You know, you have one guy who wants to hold the ball, probe, get into the lane, make things happen with the ball in his hands. And another guy who's just going to move around without the ball, get behind the defense, slip into open space. And then when he catches it, it's immediately out of his hands because it's going toward the rim. So I I thought that was a really interesting nugget. The downside of that, I guess, uh, if we're, you know, kind of playing the other side of Collins game is that that kind of catch and finish, you know, quick, low time of possession game doesn't really lend itself to a lot of playmaking. And I think that's the one thing that Collins has just never really gotten so far in his career. I'm optimistic. He can become like a capable passer. You know, there's one touch, one dribble, two dribbles and a good decision type of guy um, at some point, but he's certainly not there right now. And he doesn't have quite the vision of, you know, even like, a, you know, I'm trying to think of, of, of like a, average, like an Aaron Gordon, you know, a guy who just is, is going to make plays out of the short role, who can handle the ball a little bit. He's not that type of, of playmaker, but pretty much everything else offensively is, is there. And he's just really good at it. And then the defense, I think is the big question. Like, can you play him as a small ball five? Cause I think ideally the Hawks would want to do that for 10 minutes a game, at least in the playoffs and have that option there where you can defend passively and just blitz teams on offense. 
but you have to defend passively to be able to do that. And if Collins can't be that, that defensive anchor, even like a decent defensive anchor in those small ball lineups, that becomes a little bit of a problem. And I think that's the area where you'd want to, you'd want to see him take steps. I think that's the reason he wasn't a no brainer max as a, this, this offseason as a free agent. Um, I, because of the defense, it's just not quite proven enough. And I think he's improved. I think he will continue to improve, but right now it's, that's certainly not the, uh, the greatest strength of his game. So that's the thing I'll be watching for him this year, but offensively, I mean, he's, he's just a, a dream pair with what the Hawks have built around Trey young. And I think that's why we've seen both of those guys take steps forward as, as individual players recently. Cause I, I really do think just the way they play it, it has this symbiotic effect between the two of the word Trey obviously makes Collins better. We see that with the alley-oops, et cetera. But I think Collins also makes Trey better because of the gravity he has off the ball, the multitude of ways he can score and just the versatility he brings. I think that makes things easier in a lot of ways that are hard to see. He, it makes things easier for the rest of his teammates. That is so cool. And such an awesome stat. The, the yin and yang between Trey being so ball dominant and John Collins being so, you know, very efficient with his time on the ball and being a last, I mean, you look at a player, I know the Mavericks are trying to find a way to get the ball out of Lucas hands a little bit. Cause he is so ball dominant dominant. And I actually thought they might go after a John Collins just to have someone like that, but it's such a great way to show that relationship. And it kind of is something that I could see why one thing I've wondered is why John Collins doesn't get the props for being, I, I agree with you, one of the better offensive in the top, you know, maybe not that highest tier, but that next tier of offensive big men. We just don't have a lot of um, attention span for people who don't have the ball and for him to have the ball the actual least amount of time during a game. That makes a lot of sense. I also feel that he is such a good shooter. One of the things that I hammered on last season is he should get up one three-pointer every quarter. He should be shooting at least four because he's so good. He can do that. He's he's a good enough shooter, but he just n- doesn't get the ball that much. And and a lot of his uh, value is on that gravity. And that goes so well with Trey's floater game. You know, I think just all these things come together exactly as you said. They kind of all help each other. And then it helps with Clint Capella and all these other guys. So John Collins, I think he's also, you know, DeAndre Hunter, you're spot on that he is the defender for the Hawks to get as far as they possibly can to max out, he's got to be the best defender and be able to guard those premier small forwards, wing sized guys for the Hawks. But John Collins is a guy when he's playing next to Clint Capella, where he's going to be matched up on some of those guys some of the time. And if his defense, if he was able to use his size, he's never going to be the greatest defender. And he's gotten a lot better, I think, off coming off the weak side or being a help defender. But if he can, up his defense a little bit that might take a little bit of uh, workload off of DeAndre Hunter. I think on Hunter's side, I was blown away by that. His three-point shooting wasn't quite as high as I thought. I think you were spot on in that he was taking a lot more pickup, uh, pull-up shots. and pull, um, I thought he was actually being kind of more of a number two guy to Trey at the beginning of the season, and he was taking yeah. tougher three-pointers. But I think you were spot on. Like, that's an area he can improve on his three-point shooting. And this health thing is – I think it's a, a real worry and in another area that you're right right on. It's like we've seen his talent. It, can he make it all the way through the season? Do you know who the Hawks player who played in the most games last season was? Oh, I looked this up. It's uh, the most games last year. 
Is it Herder? So no, Herder was number two with 69 games out of Oh, 72. oh no, no, no. It's Solomon Hill. Solomon Hill played yeah. 71 of 72 games. And they just didn't uh both Reddish and Hunter were like in the 20s or whatever, and just not, you know, this health is a real thing and is good. And, you know, all these guys being in the top 25, they're very valuable. But if you can't stay on the court, it doesn't really matter. So that's going to be something that's huge for them this season. And already in this preseason, we've seen that Hunter can't play in every game. What are your expectations going forward for the Hawks? And what do you see them doing this season? I have them right now. I can pull up my my specific projections. I, right now, I have them third in the Eastern Conference behind Brooklyn and Milwaukee with 52 wins. Uh, I have them as the number six offense. And where if defensively, I have 16 on defense. So I think they're a could be an elite offense. I think they're right outside the top five, maybe potential for getting into the top five offensively, just because I think they're going to be really good with Trey on the floor around, you know, 120, 119 offensive rating with him on the floor. And then now that they actually have a competent backup point guard and like a good second unit who can actually score, the fact that the drop-off won't be so massive when he leaves the floor, that could just kind of push their offensive baseline up a little bit. And if you're elite with your best player on the floor and fine with him off, that's generally going to get you around the top five to 10 offensively. And, you know, we'll see if they can break into that top five. Right now I have like Brooklyn, obviously, Dallas, Utah, Denver, Portland is the top five. I could, I don't think the Hawks are better than any of those teams offensively, but I could see them if, if certain things break certain ways, you know, it's a long season getting into that mix defensively. I don't think they'll be quite as good as they were last year with Capella on the floor. They were like, I can't remember exactly what the number was, but like a one Oh five or one Oh six defensive rating when Capella played a lot of that was due to opponent shooting luck, just missing shots when he was on the court, which I, I do think some of which is attributable to Capella just because of the way the way you can close out harder on shooters with a rim protector behind you, you know, and, and it kind of does change the way you can play on the perimeter, but certainly part of that is, you know, just missing shots and Capella doesn't have a lot to do with it. I also think he just had a sensational defensive season last year. So him replicating that would, would seem unlikely to me just because of how good he was. So I see a slight step back there as far as the first unit defense. But again, I think the backup defense will probably be better. I think Jang is, is fine. He's like solid to fine. I think Collins will be better defensively. Okongwu, when he plays, will be better defensively than he was last year, just because he was a rookie and he was figuring things out. And I think he showed some signs in the playoffs too, that were really interesting, um, at least as a one-on-one defender. But I, I think, so I think their second unit essentially is going to, is going to raise their baseline to two higher than it was last year. And I think just with the depth, the consistency, the, the just reliability of a player like Trey Young, you know, you don't see teams led by players like Trey Young fall too far offensively. Like you rarely see those teams outside the top 10 to 12 on offense. They're going to give you a pretty high offensive baseline. And so that combined with, I think just competence across the roster, again, 48 minutes of quality play at all five positions. I think that gives them a higher floor than a team like Philly or a team like Miami, certainly, or Boston, you know, who it doesn't have quite the depth, maybe is a, a little more prone to aging from some of their best guys uh, or susceptible to aging. Um, and, and it's just going to be asking a lot from older players. Like those teams to me have a lot more variability in the regular season. The one thing with the Hawks is the injuries with Hunter Capella has been dealing with some, some foot stuff and just 
Okongwu, they have a lot of guys with some nagging injuries going on. And so if any of those get exacerbated and they become, you know, they get to the point where they're missing 10, 12, 15 games, that starts to become an issue. And then maybe you, you tack off a few wins from that total. But I think if they're reasonably healthy, they're, they're a pretty reliable top five to six seed in the Eastern conference. And I would put them kind of right in the middle of that bunch. What are the differences for the team going into a year where they have expectations of getting maybe 52 wins versus being the team that kind of surprised people last year? Do you think that'll have any effect on how they play or do you think that's just, it's the next step? Yeah, I think they are a little bit more of a known commodity this year. They'll probably have more of a target on their back. And I think certainly the book on Trey Young will be a little more extensive than it has been in the past. Like teams are going to know, okay, this guy can, he wants to get in the floater range. He can, he can hit the pull up three. He can hit the running floater. He can throw the lob. They'll have, I think they'll have a more familiar understanding of his game when in the past, I think it's funny, like as someone who, and you're this way too, who watches kind of the whole league and kind of knows, okay, you know, this guy plays this way. It's, you know, it's obvious that, you know, what the book on, on each guy is it, it's, it's easy to see as people who are not on a team, you know, cause we have the ability to just flip on league pass and watch any team. But one thing I, I had never really realized until I covered the Hawks a couple of years ago is that, you know, these guys don't have time to watch every game the way that right. people like you and me do. So in some cases, NBA players don't really have a great idea of what a player's strengths, like a, a full detailed scouting report in their head until they see a player in the playoffs because they're, it's on the national stage. They're watching it. You know, they're not worrying about the day-to-day of their own season. They can actually get an idea of, of who this guy is as a player. So I think now I, I just think more people in the league kind of know who Trey Young is. And so I think that'll give them a better understanding of, of how to guard them or how to, how to guard him. And I guess the Hawks by extension as well. So I think that'll change. But again, I think great players generally figure out ways to succeed. I think Trey's a great player. And so I think he'll figure out ways to, to counter what, what opponents are going to throw at him this season. Um, and I think given his age, given his intelligence and the room he has for improvement, I think he'll continue to get better. You know, maybe getting opponents' best shots on a more consistent basis could could be a difference this year. But I also think the Hawks are a better team than they were last year. So they're, they're probably in a better position to handle stiffer competition from the rest of their opponents. It kind of covers the Hawks part of this. Are there any things you're looking forward to in this NBA season, just in general that you think are interesting or what are your expectations for this season with the NBA kind of getting back to 82 games, this being the 75th season, we're kind of celebrating that. What are you looking forward to this upcoming season? There's a lot of stuff. I mean, it's, I always, this time of year is always really exciting because I, I realize just how much I don't know or don't know what to expect or what, whatever, just all these questions I have about the league. I think one thing I'll be watching is how the play-in race shakes out in the West. You know, the Eastern Conference, I think there's a clear top six. That could obviously change, but I think Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Miami, and Boston are clearly the six best teams in the Eastern Conference. And so I would expect those to be the six teams that don't have to play in the play-in. In the Western Conference, there are like seven teams that could finish between, you know, two and four. You know, it's just, I have no idea how this is going to shake out. And then you get to the five and six seeds. Right now I have like Dallas, Portland, Golden State, and the Clippers kind of duking it out for the five and six seeds. And so two of those teams are going to probably going to have to play in the play-in, you know, and if it's not them, 
It could be Phoenix, Denver, the Lakers, you know, and that's to say nothing of New Orleans and Memphis, who I think are going to be knocking on the door. So there are just a lot of teams in the West that I could see them finishing in kind of anywhere between like two and, and seven or eight. And I think that, you know, how these teams start the season, getting off to a good start and, and not having to play from behind all season and play catch up in the standings. That's going to be really fascinating. Obviously the golden state element of it is really interesting with clay Thompson and how they're going to fill his spot until he comes back. And then what he looks like when he comes back, the aging curve of their best players combined with trying to develop these young guys. I think every team in that Western conference mix is really, really interesting. And I think a lot of them are kind of on equal footing just in terms of team quality. I'm, I just, I have no idea how that's going to shake out. I cannot confidently project any of those Western conference teams right now. I just have no idea where they're going to finish, but I'm, I'm very excited to watch and find out. Yeah. It's kind of wild with the West being as open as it's been the last few years and seeing the team, like you described, going to have to battle for the play in spot. And we saw those play in games last year with the Lakers and the Warriors and then the Warriors losing to Memphis, just how important it is to stay out of that situation. So you won't have to, to deal with that. I also, by the way, I also don't think there's a clear favorite at the top of the conference either. I know a lot of people might lean Lakers. Some people might lean jazz Suns, who obviously made the finals last year, but I don't think there's a clear favorite to come out of the West right now. And so not only could like there, there could be teams that are equally likely to miss the playoffs because they lose in the play in as they are to win the conference, you know, like Portland, golden state, like these teams, they might be equally likely to do both of those things. Dallas is another example. So it's it's just from top to bottom, it's it's very hard to know what's going to happen. And that gets to your point on the beginning of the season being so important because when your margin is that small to be at the top or be at the bottom, what you're going to do, seeing the Lakers kind of do everything before this season, get this whole new team done. But some of these teams are going to be trying to improve and getting off to a good start will be. I think that's a really smart point on just the top being just as confusing as the bottom. Cause I think a lot of people are focusing on who, who are the teams that are not going to make it. And I think bringing up the jazz as well, not a lot of people are talking about the jazz and they're never the sexy team or anything. Um, but this is a big year for Donovan Mitchell, no doubt. This has been so much fun, Ben. I recommend people go check out your writing at the step back. What else have you, are you up to? I know you have your podcast, the read and react podcast and shout out what else, everything else you're working on. Yeah, you just about covered it uh, right about the NBA at the step back. You can find all of those articles. I tweet them out at bladner underscore if you want to keep up with them there. And then also the read and react NBA podcast, wherever you find podcasts, hopefully substantive NBA discussion. Hopefully you listeners find it substantive. I don't know. Uh, but John Sauber and I host that show. We do you know, about two episodes a week. A little bit more now as the season's ramping up. We got a lot of these team previews to get through, but we're actually recording later today. So there will be an episode out probably by the time this comes out, if not shortly after. Get that there, read and react. It's a very fun podcast. I I recommend everybody go check out the Read and React podcast. Thanks, man. I want to thank Ben Ladner once again for coming on the Kettlecast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Kettlecast. If you could leave a rating or a review on whatever platform you use to get your podcast, that's a huge help. And if you could let other Hawks fans know about the podcast, that is a huge help to me. Go Hawks.